Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Arun Singh, Director of the Department of Ophthalmic Oncology, and Dr. Stacy Zoller, a pediatric oncologist at Cleveland Clinic Children's. Arun was previously a guest on this podcast to discuss uveal melanoma, and Stacy was previously a guest to discuss advances in the treatment of pediatric patients with neuroblastoma. They're here today to talk to us about retinoblastoma. So welcome back, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Dale. So just to, uh, to remind us, uh, what do you do here at the Cleveland Clinic? What are your roles? Let's, uh, let's start with you, Stacey. Uh, sure. So I'm a pediatric hematologist oncologist. My focus is on pediatric uh, oncology in solid tumors and also in CNS-related tumors. Uh, I also do some other things, but that's my clinical role here. Excellent. Arun, what do you do here? Oh, well, I'm an ophthalmic oncologist for the last 20 years. And my practice is limited to all eye tumors or tumor-like conditions on the surface of the eye, inside the eye orbit, and related entities. Excellent. So, Arun, let's start with you. Uh, we're talking about retinoblastoma today. So give us a, a background, uh, kind of a brief description. We have a number of people who might be listening. What is retinoblastoma? So retinoblastoma is a primary retinal tumor. It's a malignant tumor seen exclusively in children. So it's a rare disease, and we expect maybe about 250 or so new cases per year in the United States. So not very common at all. And, and uh, give us a little bit of an idea. How is this diagnosed? Well, the most common symptom is what's called white pupil. So when, when people take photographs, uh, they may randomly see white look to the pupil. Oh, that's usually just an artifact, but rarely it can be due to a growth inside the eye. And we call it leukocoria, white pupil. That's the most common presenting symptom. And then, of course, uh, rarely in the in the familial situation when there's a family history of disease, these cases are detected proactively by kind of the screening programs. So this is a pretty rare tumor. Um, you know, give us an idea um, from a diagnosis standpoint. This isn't something that most ophthalmologists, most uh, pediatricians would be seeing very often. Is this mostly diagnosed in the community and then sent to us, or does someone oftentimes just get sent here and say, hey, something's wrong, help me out? So the diagnosis is not made in the community, but they suspect the diagnosis. So somebody, for example, even a pediatrician does like a normal well baby checkup, say at one year or two years, and they are looking at the pupillary reflex and they don't see the red glow or red reflex in the pupil. So they'll find something is wrong or the mother or the grandparent, someone noticed a little glint to the pupil and they go to the doctor and they kind of figure out and they kind of go up the chain and reach in pediatric ophthalmologist who tries to examine the office and try to say, oh yeah, there is something not sure, but doesn't look normal. But eventually uh, it's a clinical diagnosis and we do it after we put the baby to sleep, examination, anesthesia. And that really clinches the diagnosis is the exam and some ancillary studies like ultrasound and some other ancillary studies will confirm the diagnosis. So we don't really do biopsies to confirm it. It's just a clinical diagnosis, but requires a good exam. Gotcha. So Stacy, give us a little bit of a background here. So 
Um, Arun mentioned that this is something that occurs in children. Why, why is this unique to children? Retinoblastoma is, uh, as Dr. Singh mentioned, it's because of an alteration or mutation in the RB1 gene. And uh, Dr. Singh's actually published a lot on retinoblastoma and specifically on the genetics of retinoblastoma. You know, majority of patients, about 60% will have a sporadic mutation of the RB1 gene, which sits on chromosome 13. But in about 40% of cases, you know, there is a heritable mutation. We call it the two-hit hypothesis, right? So you'll have a germline mutation in all of the the child's uh, cells. And then the second hit would be the somatic mutation in the retinal cells. Um, And that's what causes the tumor. Let me add a little bit here. So retinoblastoma arises from a precursor cell. And this precursor cell is an undifferentiated cell, cell that has not fully matured yet. So therefore, it can only happen in immature retina. And the retina is not mature, just like brain at birth. And it takes some years for the retina to mature. And we say by age four and a half or five, the retina fully matures. And as these cells mature, they lose the capacity to become cancerous. So therefore, this is confined almost always to children less than four or five years of age. Makes sense. Stacy, give us a little bit of an idea. What kind of treatment options are available? So um, there's, there's certainly for most cancers a wide range of things, and I'm guessing retinoblastoma is no different? It is no different, but it is a little different because, you know, the, the way that we give treatment uh, it, for retinoblastoma is uh, focal treatments that Dr. Singh does in the operating room, um, which he can talk a lot about. Um, and then, you know, my role is helping with the chemotherapy options that we have. And so there's the obvious systemic chemotherapy. And actually in retinoblastoma, majority of the time we're able to avoid systemic chemotherapy. This is typically a, you know, localized, you know, solid tumor uh, type of pediatric cancer. And so um, focal therapies often are successful in curing you know, 95% of patients that are cured in the United States. This is a very curable disease. And so we can give chemotherapy systemically, you know, through through a central venous catheter. We can give it in the back of the eye or in, in, via a very specialized procedure that we do here called intra-arterial chemotherapy. And that is basically where the child has what starts as a similar to a cardiac catheterization where the femoral artery is accessed by a neurointerventional surgeon and a catheter is snaked all the way up to the ophthalmic artery, uh, you know, into the internal carotid artery and into the junction of the ophthalmic artery. And chemotherapy, very small doses of chemotherapy are injected into the back of the eye. And that has been very successful. And we can talk more about that. So just another viewpoint. In a very broad perspective, we say, well, surgery, well, say enucleation still is the most common treatment for retinoblastoma across the world and even in the United States. So enucleation is the removal of the eye, and that's for usually advanced disease where there's no vision in the eye or there's no vision potential. So this is an important aspect. And the second, we say the alternative really is chemotherapy, and that can be delivered different ways. But the last thing, which is the radiation, is pretty much not used in retinoblastoma. So unlike other tumors, where you have external radiation, et cetera, very commonly used, uh, retinoblastoma, it's a big no-no. 
And that's because the children, when they have the germline mutation, will get second tumors from radiation itself, which are lethal. So the shift has been away from radiation, more towards chemotherapy, but still in many, many cases where there is no vision potential in the eye, then you just remove the eye, enucleate the eye. And of course, we have focal therapies, laser, freezing, and intraocular, intravital chemotherapy. So there are many options, depends upon the tumor size, really, and what else is what's happening to the eye overall. That's right. So the classification system that we use now, nowadays, probably over the last couple of decades, is an international classification where we group, it's groups A through E. And so group A is the smallest tumor, you know, less than three millimeters. Group B, just very basically, is a little bit bigger. Um, Group C, you start to have seeding of the tumor. You know, some of that seeding can be more diffuse in group D. And then group E is the largest. Uh, Usually over 50% of the globe is is involved. Uh, That's uh, certainly a case where Dr. Singh will consider enucleation. So, Ren, I guess just walk us through, you said something about how vision and um, ability to restore vision might be one of the factors that plays into whether you do an enucleation versus a, a, another focal therapy or, or chemo. Um, how do these compare in terms of local control rates and really restoration of vision, survival, things like that? So overall, you say retinoblastoma has one of the highest cure rates. We say in the United States overall, almost from 96 to 97% cure rate. And the risk of death from metastasis is very, very low. So maybe five to 10 cases in the US per year. So at least in the US, we say we have excellent outcomes. So that's number one, the survival outcomes. Then they, because they can be genetic or germline mutations, they also are at risk for second malignant neoplasms later on in life osteosarcomas and other tumors as they get older. And so that can be lethal also. But one other aspect in childhood is the pineal tumor, pinealoblastoma, which is related to the to retinoblastoma uh, from the pathogenesis point of view. And that can also be lethal. So they can die three different ways. But from retinoblastoma, primarily, it's very uncommon to see that happen in the U.S. because we are still catching it relatively early. So that's the survival outcomes. As far as the local control rates, we say with enucleation, well, 100%, you remove the eye, there's very little chance that there'll be local orbital recurrence. But following these chemotherapies, and you took kind of a very broad view of it, say approximately 75% local control rates. So if you start the journey of chemotherapy overall at two years or even four years, we say approximately 75% of the time you'll be able to save the eye. And still 25% after all this, you know, complex treatments, the eye may have to be enucleated because for whatever reason, somehow the chemotherapy didn't work or the tumor continued to come back. And talking about the vision, we don't have good data about the visual outcomes. And that's again, because the children are small, it's hard to measure vision, vision objectively. And they're also busy and doing the treatments being put to sleep every month or so. And in the OR, we can't objectively uh, check vision. But I have to say that, you know, in, in cases, you can have excellent vision. You can have 20-20 vision. It just depends upon 
the, the location of the tumor itself and the size of the tumor. And I guess just another really quick question from a standpoint of the disease itself. We, you talked about how this is from um, sort of the development of the, the retina. There's a gene abnormality, but this usually occurs in one eye, not both. Is that true? Well, 60% of the time it's unilateral, but 40%, yeah, it can be bilateral. So if they have a germline mutation, then they will affect more than one cell, and they tend to be bilateral. In, so in general, if they're a germline or bilateral disease, we're talking of about five tumors between two eyes. So they can have multiple tumors. It's not just one eye or the other eye. Last case we have, actually treating has 10 tumors between two eyes. Wow. Tell us a little bit about, specifically here at Cleveland Clinic, we have a retinoblastoma center. We have the ability to do a wide range of treatments. Tell, tell me a little bit about what we have set up here. So it's not a one-man show, not at all. Of course, you know, we are a big hospital. It's a, we have advantage of multidisciplinary teams who offer all kinds of uh, services. So here, Dr. Zeller is a pediatric oncologist, so she'll drive the chemotherapy, the dosing, the, the how it's delivered, et cetera, and make sure you know, she's on board to take care of all the issues related to chemotherapy. Then we talked about intervention neurosurgery. We have Dr. Hussein, Shazam Hussein nowadays, who's doing our all the catheterizations. And then we have people in, in genetic um, counseling and medical genetics who will help uh, handle the samples for, for testing for gene mutations, et cetera. Um, and then we have, you know, nursing coordinators, you know, who will counsel the families and the mothers and the parents who need so much support. So it's, it's a complex web of things that are needed. and uh, But we are able to all work together. So I think that's, I would say, we're proud to have this kind of team together. And they can, it's like one-stop shop. You know, they come here, usually, you know, start with our nurse squad, there's a Jackie. And then after that, everything kind of falls into place. So we try to do it all in one place without making them come many times over and reducing the burden of the of the treatment. That's fantastic. We have that in place for such a rare tumor. Stacy, we've talked about the genetic component, and we've talked about the risk of other tumors. But tell me a little bit about what we have in place in terms of the genetic counseling, survivorship. I mean, these are very young children that are coming into this. So what do we do in those uh, situations? Yeah, so we, as Dr. Singh mentioned, uh, genetic counseling is a standard uh, and mandatory part of each child's retinoblastoma care here at the clinic. You know, we have wonderful genetic counselors that will automatically, you know, see the babies and send off genetic testing really right at diagnosis. And so by about a month or two after diagnosis, we know whether or not they have the heritable RB1 alteration uh, or somatic. And so then we can, you know, the genetic counseling team will do their counseling and inform the families if it is a germline mutation, you know, what is the risk? Uh, this is an autosomal dominant mutation. So what is the risk of, you know, the child's eventual siblings having retinoplastoma? It's 50%, and, et cetera. And then Dr. Singh will also, um, in, in patients with germline disease, will also examine any siblings of this child. The parents will be tested as well. And so um, there's we have that whole process in place. And then as patients who have germline mutation of RB1 uh, get past the retinoblastoma diagnosis and are treated and do well and they're in survivorship, we do send them off to our survivorship uh, program here in pediatric oncology, which is led by Dr. Seth Rotz, 
Um, but we also make sure that someone in our group will see them annually, especially as they get older into their teenage years. Because as we mentioned, you know, the risk of other cancers that are related to the heritable RB1 mutation, uh, such as osteosarcoma or other sarcomas, uh, melanoma, breast cancer later on in life, these uh, need to be monitored. And so, you know, we will see these patients annually throughout their lives. Tell me a little bit about uh, what we're doing in terms of research and any studies we might be doing. Sure. So uh, the Children's Oncology Group is, you know, one of the main central centralized and collaborative groups that study pediatric cancer. And so actually just uh, several months ago, a new retinoblastoma study opened up through the COG. And this is studying uh, systemic chemotherapy in patients who have uh, group D tumors, but that also need intravitreal chemotherapy. And so intravitreal chemotherapy, remember, is uh, chemotherapy that's injected directly into the eye by Dr. Singh. And we have studied, there have been lots of data out there sort of retrospectively to give us the, the, the safety, the feasibility, um, but, but it's never been studied prospectively. And so this is the COG is, is wanting to study the combination of intravitreal melphalan given concurrently with systemic chemotherapy. And, and the chemotherapy that we typically give is carboplatin, etoposide, and vincristine. So they get a total of six cycles of, of the systemic chemotherapy and also can get a total of six cycles of uh, intravitreal melphalan. Excellent. What are the biggest gaps? Great survival numbers, the local recurrence is low, and in many cases we're studying chemotherapy options. Um, Arun, we'll start with you. What are, what are the gaps? What do we still need to, to resolve? Well, the treatment delivery is very complex. So this intra-arterial chemotherapy, it's a, it's a huge process. Very expensive. You need very specialized, trained people. And if you think about retinoblastoma globally, we say 90% of it is in Asia and Africa. So in those countries, this is not available or can hardly be done. So if you look retinoblastoma globally, we only represent maybe 5% of all cases. So the rest of it is outside the U.S. And these kind of treatments are not accessible at all. Even in the U.S., it's a challenge. So this isn't the final treatment. I think there are going to be new ways to deliver chemotherapy, and there's some research going on in that. So that's one area of uh, what's new on the horizon. And second is moving away from chemotherapy. So we know the mutations. We know the genetic profile of retinoblastoma. So there are targeted therapies that will be tested uh, for intravitreal injections, for example, instead of chemotherapy, because chemotherapy has toxicity to retina. So the aim is to save the vision and save the globe, survival being so good, there is a tend to move away from this toxic drug. So there are certain agents that will be tested and are being tested. And, and the last, I would say, is the aspect of this liquid biopsies and circulating tumor cells. Like in other cancers, we have biomarkers to tell you, oh, there's a residual disease, minimal residual disease, or you're fully cured, et cetera. And there are cells that liberate DNA from the tumor that circulate, and that can be detected in blood that can be sampled from the eye itself and can be a marker uh, of uh, prediction, for example, to say whether the eye is going to survive this treatment or the, uh, the tumor is coming back if you're not sure, and et cetera. So there are uh, exciting features that will, will come along that will help 
improve the prediction, I, I guess, or the outcome of patients in all different facets. So I don't think we are there yet in terms of uh, you know, treatment of retinoblastoma. I think there's some more steps to be taken. What a great multidisciplinary team. So, so as a surgeon, Arun talks about chemotherapy as one of the things to, uh, instead of surgery. So that's awesome. So Stacy, what do you think? What's your view of the, the biggest gaps that remain? Yes, I, I would agree with Arun that, you know, um, that there are these new new sort of treatments on the horizon. We are really good at curing these kids, you know, with this disease. So reducing toxicity, I would agree, is uh, the primary goal. You know, we have plenty of patients who are alive and well, but, you know, maybe they have their globe, they have their eye, but maybe their vision is not great. So how do we, how do we reduce that? Excellent. Well, you guys have... Uh giving us some great insights today, and thanks for being with us. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much, Dale. To make a direct online referral to our Tosa Cancer Institute, complete our online cancer patient referral form by visiting clevelandclinic.org slash cancer patient referrals. You will receive confirmation once the appointment is scheduled. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash canceradvancespodcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon. Thank you.